So, contract tracing. What's happening in Australia? <laughs> it's not. Um, <laughs> it's not happening. It's not really working. Uh, Wait, it's still the same. Is it still the same as, like, I don't know, three weeks ago when we spoke about it last? Oh, an app that was kind of three, three weeks ago. ago. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, Time, man. It How do you hasn't keep track really of it? changed. Um, the consensus seems... That, so, they're still... Um, it's still very poorly written, and it's run into a bunch of limitations due to the way that the app handles Bluetooth itself, not necessarily due to Apple's Bluetooth mm-hmm. limitations. Like, it's not like they've done as good of a job as they can with, mm-hmm. like, core Bluetooth. They haven't. Um, the consensus from people who've actually properly been through the code and, um, like, way, way, way more detail than me is that um, they could basically optimize this thing, even without choosing to use the exposure notification framework, to still make it work. It, it identified... well. <sighs> So there's there's been some press saying that it's helped identify the first lot of cases this week. Just mind you, three months on, mm-hmm. I don't know why we rushed out so badly. Um, but what they meant by that is kind of weird. Apparently, in one of the cases, the fact that the app was on somebody's phone prompted them to remember that they were somewhere, which aided <laughs> manual contact tracing. So the app didn't actually expose anything. Um, it's just kind of all round laughable. That is that so, is also a great argument. That's like my our app made people millionaires because when they used our app, they remembered to buy a lottery ticket <laughs> that that just happened to win. It's like well, that's yeah, unrelated. Yeah. yeah, and now you've got you know like health minister tweeting about oh the app's actually working because there's another news report that it it helped identify two close cases and uh, sort of it's still a bit contentious whether those cases would have been identified without the app or not. That aside, like the the argument of that aside, this app's cost almost $3 million now. And if it's only helped identify two cases, that's pretty poor form. Mm, Um, They, the government doesn't want to switch to the Apple Google exposure notification framework. It's about not wanting to give up control. They like the process at the moment of, hey, we know somebody's been a close contact thanks to the app. We have their phone number and can give them a call and can then make sure that they're isolating because we told them to. Um, but, like, I, so I kind of understand So they prefer very that. good nothingness <laughs> yeah, but over that, that's pretty the point. decent... Yes. <laughs> the thing isn't working at all. So isn't it better to... And, and yes, you're going to get a percentage of people who ignore the notification from the exposure notification framework, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. inevitable. It's going to happen. But isn't it better that at least some people are getting informed as opposed to nobody? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we have control over nothing as mm-hmm. opposed to having no control over something. I don't know how that's better. The other thing is, if you have the app and you've shown the willingness to download and install it and you get a notification... Haven't you already shown an interest in at least trying yeah. to protect yourself and trying to be better? Like, no one's forced. No one's forced to have the app. In a world where we're all forced to have the app, maybe it is better that they then have everybody's details so that they can contact trace and whatever. But no one's forced. So mm. if you're voluntarily putting it on your phone, aren't you already saying like, "Hey, I'm going to take this seriously," or mm. you know, there's at least a good chance I'm going to take this seriously if I get a notification? I mean, um, if, if we look at total to numbers, see- it's probably more likely that people will take it seriously considering that you would get a lot more contract that is being detected or contact that mm-hmm. is being detected, even if only then, let's say, 20% take it seriously, you know, then then you have an easy calculation to make. If it detects at least five times as many mm-hmm. uh, contact situations, 
well, then you're ready to win. Yeah, but it's better than where we are now, where yeah. it's just not identifying anybody. Mm-hmm. Wow, thank God we can ring them. Because um, we've had a bunch of community outbreaks, a uh, few restaurants that if you've been at, you've had to uh, isolate yourself now. So in, in my state, in New South Wales, the outbreaks are still pretty well contained in that contact tracing can still be done manually. And we have people working very hard to ring close contacts every time Mm -hmm. we get cases because we're at about 20 cases a day. So it's not uh, an unachievable effort. Whereas in Victoria, the state below us uh, on a map uh, and in (laughs) sport performance. No, uh, (laughs) um, in Victoria, the state below us, they're having like 700 cases a day. So the manual contact tracing is only so good. Mm -hmm. And so wouldn't it be fantastic to have an app that does a lot of the the Mm. work for you? Um, Mm. So it's disappointing. It was clearly rushed um all of the arguments for not going with the apple google framework initially were around like the speed and stuff um Mm -hmm. but we've we've shown that by having an app that's useless for three months we could have waited three months before releasing it and Mm -hmm. actually have something that worked and waited for the exposure notification framework the the other argument that i've seen floating about is well exposure notification framework only works on modern devices that have been updated or like, you know, Mm -hmm. stuff that can run the latest OS. But again, our current solution just doesn't work. So what's the point of it being able to run on close to 100% of phones if it's not working? It doesn't make any sense to me. I I do agree, like in theory, but in in theory, I could see that argument, right? iOS 13.5 is quite recent in the grand scheme of things. If you want to have something that works for the entire population, you won't get that with this. Um, I don't know what the adoption numbers in Australia are, probably higher than, than a lot of other places. But I, I at least can see the argument. If you could have an equally well, equally functional option without that, that can go back to iOS 12, I could at least see the argument. But going yeah. saying we have 100% of 0% functionality, that is where... <laughs> like whenever you hit yeah, 0% yeah. functionality... All our other arguments are just void by definition. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's, no, I, th- it's- I think it's a valid argument. In a world where if you did have that uptake uh, that you wanted and the app was working and you've got the two solutions, well, why wouldn't you take the one that mm-hmm. you know can support an extra 10% of devices or 20, whatever whatever your numbers might be? Um, but in a world where it doesn't work, it's, yeah, yeah. it's kind of all a moot point. Um, the other... The other thing with the app is that some updates since the initial um, launch have butchered things like Apple Watch connectivity. Mm-hmm. So I know Mike, so there's been, last number I heard was in like the 6 million downloads. I think we have about 27, 28 million people in this country. Mm-hmm. Obviously not everyone an adult, everyone, obviously not everyone with a phone, but you can kind of work it out to maybe about a third, a quarter to a third of the people who should have the app have it. Mm-hmm. Um but, like, there are people like me who, as soon as it started wrecking havoc with Apple Watch Bluetooth, I just deleted the app yeah, yeah. because it's not providing any... The thing was, I'm, I was opposed to the app and, I mean, I still am opposed to the app, but I'm happy to use it if, like, I'm happy for it to just sit on my phone, even if mm-hmm. it's not working perfectly, because it's better than nothing, right? Mm-hmm. In, an, in an ideal world where it's actually doing something, even if I'm not going out, it's kind of better to just have it there. If it, if it happened to help somebody, it happened to help somebody, that's great. Mm-hmm. That's what it's there for. I wasn't, like religiously opposed to using it um and i tried and but then it caused problems and i was staying home all the time so i'm like well i'm gonna delete COVID safe because it mm-hmm. doesn't work um some of the latest reports are that like once it has connected to 200 other devices it just stops all new connections so you know it might be good for the first couple of days you use mm-hmm. it and then useless what um, wait why is that just te- it's, it's that's just, just a technical limitation oh yeah okay yeah yeah it's uh not a proper 
implementation. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like the, the there are two people who are doing deep dives into like two uh, software devs who are doing deep dives into the government code, and their consensus is um, that the the limitations of the app in its current form aren't due to core Bluetooth, but instead due to just the way things are implemented, and that okay. if the government is insistent on this core Bluetooth route and not the exposure notification, then they could make it so much better. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there ongoing development happening on the app? Yes. There are more hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of work being <laughs> handed out for it. Uh, well, in comparison, um, Germany released their COVID app a while ago now. Mm-hmm. They paid $20 million for that. So there's quite okay. a lot of budget still left. At least they adopted Apple's frameworks and Google's frameworks. So yep. it, it works, which is <laughs> apparently... <laughs> hey, look, I think here $20 million would be a reasonable price yeah. given everything that's happened for a non-working app. Yeah, but <laughs> it was also like a very, very typical thing there. Um, they, they ask like the biggest telco and SAP to build it, which are like, if you looked at the GitHub repo, they build it in the open more or less, which, which is cool. But you could see like, I, I would say the first, I don't know, a uh, hundred commits, 200, 2000, I don't know, were all about documentation and explaining this is an app. An app is an application that can run on iPhones and Android de- devices. Android devices are mobile communication. And you're like, really? They paid someone tens of thousands of dollars to write what Android is, what an app is, how one downloads an app, how one opens opens an app, how that's different between iOS and Android. It, it's just, it was such a, there was so much m- money wasted on, and especially in, in this kind of urgent pandemic situation that makes it even more infuriating it's already infuriating in in a good day but now it's like really they paid someone to first write the entire documentation and an outline and it's like ugh, i think that's that was a bit wasteful canada on the other hand uh finally released their app uh, a couple of days ago hmm. and you know what they did and how's that um uses apple's apis and google's yeah, apis great. so that's good <laughs> is that it's um, cool Shopify, a Canadian company, mm-hmm. um, they built something, an open source one, and said, hey, government, you're free to use it. And you know what the government did? They adopted it and, and oh. modified it and used it. I didn't realize yeah. that was And there have been, been a few people who tried to do that here. And obviously, the Australian government is not going to buy software or not not going to even use software that they've just stumbled upon on GitHub. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So oh, um, That's so good. Right? And uh, as far as I know, there were only two developers like one Android and one iOS developer from that were actually employed by the government in the mm-hmm. like digital media part of the Canadian government mm-hmm. that cool. worked and made the app, like added all the kind of all the uh, copy that was required for the Canadian <sighs> so government, good. made like an English, yep. French uh, yep. language switcher. They just made some modifications on top to match mm-hmm. the kind of government styling and stuff and then released it. And I'm nice. sure that was not uh, hitting $20 million. I'm pretty sure it also didn't hit $2 million of, of development cost. And they have something that actually works. And the Shopify people, they, oh, they kind of know what so they're doing. Good. Um, so good. Yeah. And it's open source now, so people contribute to it. There were some commits in. That's um, really good. Yeah. Even the server is open source. Um, like the server component. I sent you a link to the GitHub repository. Um, I put it in show notes too. So I think this is actually, I mean, it took a bit longer than necessary, I think. But the yeah. solution is it's really solid. It's, I mean, it's yeah, right that's native. what we should have done here. Like we rushed out and we were one of the first countries to have a contact tracing app. Mm. Yet three months on, it still doesn't work. Like what mm. a disaster. Yeah. 
So it's, uh, I actually think that was, I mean, it could have been faster, right? It could have been faster. We had the API for a while. Even Shopify, they were kind of done with their sample implementation a while ago. It took a while to adopt that. But I mean, in the end, uh, I think that was at least the right direction, even if it took a bit longer than necessary, I think. Mm-hmm. But it's it's good to see. Yeah. I, I don't know how much it will do. Uh, we'll see that. Yeah, it's how interesting to is. see both the adopt. Say, like how, how many people adopt it and also how much it, it helps. Mm. Um, uh, but I'm wondering, I'm trying to look into this a bit more uh, because they started rolling it out in Ontario. So you can download it anywhere in any of the provinces um, or territories in Canada. But I don't know when you can actually, if you actually can report that you have so COVID the through way the app works, in other, The other way it works, I think it's the same in most of the... Uh, apps i've seen so what what happens is if you get a if if you did, do your covid test you get a um, a positive result back mm-hmm. you get a one time code yes and that code you enter in the app which then triggers the entire notification flow right um i think at the moment they only have that in ontario and ontario is also the province here with the largest number of covid cases so i think only uh ontario health is currently doing that but at least the app is available everywhere so as soon as that that kind of doctor and and diagnosis part rolls out in other provinces it will already have collected data for the last 14 days yeah yeah so that's uh, i'm hoping that it will come out quite soon in in other provinces i'm just not sure why it's it's not out yet if it's a um yeah it might just be a rollout Mm. that it's not actually uh, that that the codes are not being Mm. generated yet but they're also Um, under already 31 pull requests now for the apps uh open from people that kind of fixed some small stuff and updated some of the the readme and made it uh <laughs> it's, it's quite they a lot updated of the readme i appreciate that yeah people people like like often like just simple things right that slips through when you when you're in a hurry to build something like people are raising pull requests for like uh typos and and hmm. uh i thought it was quite it, it is nice. It's it's nice to see that. Yeah, it this, is nice. This approach, like the community cares about the app mm. as well, and it's currently featured in the App Store. Yeah, it's yeah. the number one free app on the App Store in Canada. Well, that's good. So that means many people do download it. Mm, looks that's like awesome. It. Mm. Um, no, that's I'm good. I'm I'm looking forward to hearing a bit more about it. Uh, it's always hard to know. Like, hopefully none of us will get a notification, right? Because mm. uh, ideally we shouldn't have been in contact with people. Um, but it will be good just to like hear a bit more about how many people get them and how helpful it is. I'm also curious, and I haven't... Uh, I'm curious how well it works in um, close residential areas. So if you're in, a, in an apartment, for example, mm. um, I wonder how much you will get... I mean, realistically, we're probably exposed to our neighbors based on Bluetooth, yeah, right? That's, that's just yeah, exactly. unavoidable. That's one thing yeah. as well, but that wouldn't mean that you have COVID. No. Um, no. So so I'm, I'm curious to see how many like false triggers there will be and if it's going to be a lot more in cities because of the high density uh, and the way people live. But I, I don't but that think that said, like, if your next door neighbor had COVID, it's still something to be yeah. concerned about. Yeah. You know, if you're, you're sharing an elevator and things mm. like that, like, yeah. I know it's a low chance, but mm. it's not like a non- you yeah. know, it's not like you can throw out that information and be like, ah, oh, perfectly yeah. fine. And yeah. I mean, realistically, no, I, 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 if our neighbor would have a positive diagnosis and people would ask me, would you want to know when your neighbor has it or not? I would say, yes, please. Yes, right? of so course. Yeah, yeah. So it's still... Yeah, because it, there's still like common areas. You don't like, we, we, we're not passing people yeah. often, but you never know when people are in the hallway. And, mm. Yeah. 
Yeah. But I, I thought the approach was, was kind of yeah. sensible. Um, and also, in, in general, I think most countries where follow kind of the, the, the app debate, some people, volunteers, build apps as yeah. sample implementations. Yeah. Like, I've seen that in, in Canada. Like, Quentin did a lot. In of Australia, the, you mean? Uh, yeah, in, yeah, in Australia. In sure, Quentin yeah. did a lot from basically day one when the API, even before yep. the API was available he already had. <laughs> yeah he still had something ready to go yeah. almost <laughs> so um i don't understand why you wouldn't harvest and those think, kind of the talent in your yeah, country I, when and the, i think i even know, saw him I, I think i even saw him offering that people could yeah he said they could use, use it for free mm. but like why yeah. why have paid you know two million dollars to atlassian yeah. and these other various consulting companies like quinton had built one you could consult him you know mm. and i'm <laughs> yeah, no. like, like, not not to um not to uh undervalue quinton but i'm sure he would have taken a lot less than two million dollars <laughs> yeah. to work on this for a few months for but the government also if like, the government want to pay him two million i'm sure he would yeah, have I'm taken sure he that, would take that too but it's, but it's not like, even just that right it's it's i think it's okay that you're saying uh, we don't want random I don't think the, no. the the government. I don't think the Australian Prime Minister knew Quentin personally and would trust no. every quote he wrote. Right. So I do think there's, and I don't know if Quentin built an Android app as well. Um, no, I don't think. So. But either way, I, at least as a starting point, right? I'm not saying take yeah. whatever random GitHub repository from from a citizen of your country you find and publish it on the App Store. You know, mm-hmm. my the point is just that's not what are, they're saying. No, no, I'm but not, you can, but you can engage him exactly. as a consultant yes. on the project, yeah. yes. and you know that can be it can just be an advice role, it mm-hmm. could be a code role, like it could be you need to rewrite all of this on our computers and yeah. our systems and whatever. But like, there's obviously the talent going yeah. around, but also the starting um, point, right? It, it is it is super valuable to have something that already that already works that someone who yeah, clearly yeah. cares enough about it more than average, right? Because otherwise, like Shopify here. Uh, as as kind of like I don't know our Atlassian, um, they had volunteers that built something directly, and mm-hmm. that is a clear indication that those people care a bit about that more yeah. more than average because they decided to spend their free time, or the company decided to spend their resources, whatever split you want to give it, on on building something that they would have no intention of ever selling. There was definitely no no direct financial reward expectation from that. If you have those kind of groups within your country of varying reputation, but if you have that, mm. that should off. I think that makes sense. That that's your first contact point. Yeah, but even if, if it if wouldn't they be, all seem reasonable. I I yeah. can confirm that here it was. They just okay. didn't go with the advice of the sensible consultants. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think the the impression I got, and I have no inside information into the decision making process, but the impression I got was that the the government had already decided which solution they wanted to go with they just needed to be cons- they needed to be seen consulting parties on both sides of the fence so they wasted know- more time on on something that had urgency cool yeah yeah Do, well it's you know, get official- everyone in but it also made um so mike cannon brooks the atlassian guy he when when all the debate was going on months ago he you know put out a, a thing i think it was on hacker news and he said um i think it was hacker news or maybe it was a tweet in response to hacking news. Anyway, it was basically like, look, we should all like shut up and stop complaining and just use the app because it's, it's beneficial. And at that point, no one knew that Atlassian had con- like been paid mm-hmm. half a million dollars or whatever yeah. it was. It just made that look so much <laughs> less genuine. It's like, uh-huh. you should have, you should have stated that, Hey, we profited from this. Yeah. Like, you know, of course I'm on board with the app. Yeah. But anyway, that was just um, that was an aside that annoyed me. Did you, so you mentioned that they were sort of consulting people on both sides of the fence, but do you know if the government potentially would have started making the app before 
it was even talk about Apple developing their APIs? Could it have been that they were just already no, so deep no, into no. it? No, no, I think Apple were pretty... It was the, it was all like the debate started around the same time of like okay. Apple saying, hey, we're going to do a solution and the government was in talks with... Because we ended up buying Singapore's code. Yes. Um, so the yep. government was in talks with getting... I don't know if, I don't know if they actually paid for it, if it was just a... Mm. Singapore government leased it to them. Or I don't know what the arrangement was. Mm. But yeah, there was already talk about that. And I think that the people who make decisions had already decided we're going down the Mm. Singapore path Mm. because it's going to be the fastest and it will enable us to get our marketing campaigns out there the soonest. Um, But hey, we need to bring in Mm. consultants on on both parties here, Mm. uh, on both sides here. Mm. Uh, Well, at least for me, uh, in the end, uh, Shopify actually is uh, has a better ranking in my book now because I do think you know even if it wasn't a marketing effort it it shows that as a company that seems to care about things yeah. and I think that is that is a really good sign they didn't take two million dollars um, mm. but I think that's also good to point out when when large companies actually do do good things mm. rather than you know they could have probably yeah, also said yeah. you know what we're we're being paid for this but they decided to yeah. volunteer and nah, build something awesome. because they thought it was worthwhile to do yeah um and that's i think that's great to see mm. cool all right enough of governments spending a lot of money <laughs> uh let's talk about apple hey, making no a lot problem of money. with the government spending money if it's on something that works yeah like if the covid safe app was saving lives that's cool like you know <laughs> overpay a little yeah, bit yeah, but you're saving you lives that? it's fine yeah yeah it's cool like whatever you got to yeah. do what you got to do so, so what you're saying is it's not working if, if they would build another one you would personally write that two million dollar check <laughs> uh i couldn't that would be very difficult uh i'd be better off building it myself also, also, <laughs> donating my time what's yeah a, what's a check yeah, yeah that that's the only reasons i couldn't because he was like what do i do with the check what does yeah. that do <laughs> so all right so paper no yeah. no no can we go back to my awesome segue? Yeah, it was so great. Let's do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Should we just cut this part out and then we you can, do your you segue? Can start your segue or do you want to again, say it again? What was my segue? Uh, you said... Speaking of governments wasting a lot of money, should we talk about Apple making a lot of money? What a brilliant segue, <laughs> Oh, Marlin. You are a podcasting genius. <sighs> <laughs> you people. I need new co-hosts. If anyone wants to uh, co-host a podcast about tech, we can call it um, Mark of Tech. Uh, send me a dark message on Twitter. <laughs> cool. Apple's quarterly earnings. You're not going to do the segue again? No, no, no. We're, we're keeping this one. This one was uh, uh, perfect. Exactly cool. wh- how I envisioned it. All right. Um, did any of you... Uh, should we start with the hearing or the earnings? No. Okay, so now you just... Made a segue, and now we're not even segue into the topic you were talking about. Yeah, because I realized the. the I know the order is the other way around. Oh. The the antitrust hearing was before the quarterly or- earnings call. Um, D- did either of you have a strong preference for? <sighs> Look, if I'm being honest, I don't particularly care about either. So happy <laughs> to go with whatever you prefer. Yeah, you go, Ken. All right, let's go with the antitrust one right. first because I think that will be quick. Um, have you? Did you watch it, Zach? No, I read the the summaries. Okay. I did not want to sit through five hours of Congress. Well, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> oh, first God. of all, Congress is really strange. It's the first time I watched something from Congress, and I yeah, I, and I, underst- I sort of want to watch more things to know if this is normal and how it yeah, works. because if this is their normal, I understand why they can't get anything together in their country. What what a weird. Did you do you? I don't know what kind of summaries you, you did read, but did you hear about the format that was? done that like what kind of things uh, they went through nothing more than like everyone got like five minutes to talk and then yeah just kind of so the around. thing is 
the format was uh, they had the four CEOs, right? The four CEOs of large tech companies. It was Tim Cook from Apple, uh, Mark Zuckerberg from Facebook, uh, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, and uh, Sundar Pichai from Google or Alphabet, whatever. Same thing. Um, and then they had a whole, whole bunch of people there and they could decide who they want to ask a question to at whatever order they want and however many questions they want. And it was basically every, every person had five minutes, every congressperson had five minutes to do whatever they want. Some of them used it to ask questions to tech CEOs. Some of them focused on one person, others focused on multiple people. Some others pushed fringe conspiracy theories for five minutes. I mean, they still asked the CEOs about the fringe conspiracy but sometimes theories. They didn't. <laughs> sometimes they ask one person ask uh, Mark Zuckerberg about why some Trump tweet was blocked from Twitter. And Zuckerberg was like, Twitter is a different company. <laughs> it's like, this, this is insane what kind of people they have sitting there and clearly in, in some position of power. And then they're just rambling on about how masks are killing everyone and how they don't want to wear masks. It's like, what is, what is going? This was, I, I, it was so many things. The frequency of crazy things happening was so high. You could barely keep up with like, you, you sit there with the open mouth and you're like, what just happened? And the next crazy thing is happening. And then there were some decent questions every yeah. now and then. Yeah. And that's the unfortunate part. I think some parts were really. Some questions were really decent and it felt like they really did their homework, if you want to call it that. It felt like some of the people asking questions, they had looked into what those companies are doing and they had pretty reasonable questions. Um, but so then I the saw, format was still weird, right? Because yeah. everyone knew that everyone was given five minutes, right? So Mark Zuckerberg is the champion of like, Stalling. he was asked, he was being asked a question. He's like, Oh, congressperson, what a brilliant question. I really appreciate you to give me the opportunity to answer this question in front of all of you. Um, I thought about this for a while. And first of all, I, I disagree with the premise and the framing of this question. However, let me talk about all the things we're doing in a completely separate, completely different field about completely different things and how Facebook is is uh, all about free speech. And it's like, that, that's not the question at all. Also not a topic of an antitrust hearing, but cool. Thanks, Mark. It was so weird. And yeah. then and, and it was such a bizarre show. And every time Jeff Bezos was asked any question, Jeff Bezos would answer, oh, I do not know how that happened. I have <laughs> no idea how about anything at Amazon ever happened. What? We're selling third-party things and then we're treating sellers weirdly sometimes? Let me look into that and get back to your office. I'm like, cool. And then the question was about uh, fraudulent, like fake products. And he's like, I, I I think we do a lot. But let me get, I don't know about the details. Let me get back to you. And there was another one. Here's an email that you wrote. And he's like, oh, I don't, didn't. Do not recall this email. Let me get back to you. It's like, it's like, it sounds like Jeff Bezos does not work at Amazon. I don't know what he's doing, but based <laughs> yeah, on this yeah. hearing, he, he's never been to yes. any Amazon meeting yeah. ever. Uh, Sometimes he seemed like very surprised about the question. And like, th there was this part when they were playing a clip for, uh, uh, for an interview from one of the resellers or one of the people who sell their stuff at, on Amazon. And he seemed like at that point, he seemed really taken by it but i don't know if that was because he was so unaware of what's going on or if it was really good acting <laughs> i think he's also just he's, he's fine to be I, I don't think he's the most i don't think he as a person is the most worried about third-party sellers on his platform um but yeah it was it was super bizarre and then others they knew already that the CEOs wouldn't answer those questions because, of course, tim cook is not going to stand there and be like yeah we used our market power to to make everyone pay more money 
oops, <laughs> you know, that's not going to happen. So every time someone tried to divert, yeah. Yeah. Some, some people just moved on. They're like, yeah. are you using your market power to, to, uh, to force higher prices? And they're like, mm -hmm. congressperson, we are. And they're like, all right, next question. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even let them answer because yeah. they knew nothing yeah. would ever happen. But that's it. what it felt like. I felt like it wasn't really, I don't really see what... Often it it felt a bit pointless uh, because you knew that like I could have told the quest the answers that they would say beforehand because it was also ca like canned. Yeah, everything. Was I actually played a game where we would answer them before the CEOs would, and it was usually pretty spot on. It's yeah. like oh, let's spend like at least thirty seconds on on praising the question because mm. that means they they only have four four minutes and thirty seconds left to to question us and yeah. things that we then have to also uh, it was very very bizarre yeah i would recommend watching a little bit of it just yeah because yeah it's i found it to it was an interesting thing to watch like i saying just just to see how they handle those situations like but like i said they're all very practiced in those situations so they're not right. gonna just but it's also there's no they, it's not a, like it's not a random answer if they don't know something like, so many things were not related to antitrust no yeah no follow-up questions it felt like it were some yeah. questions were prepared and they were well prepared mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. they were kind of hitting the point but i i don't think those people necessarily they probably had staff that helped them prepare for those and they did interviews with people but i don't think they truly understand some of the the, the implementation yeah. details of the or the implicati the deeper yeah. implications of yeah. certain things yeah, or so they got an answer yeah. but then they couldn't follow up on it yeah like, or oh, sometimes right, the the wording that the person who was asked the question was giving like the, the way they worded the answer made it seem like yes we are playing within the rules or yes we are doing it properly but just because that was just because of the way they worded it and i think if mm. they would have been able to push there a bit more and be like do you mean this way then that would have been great. Mm. Uh, but some of them did have follow-up. I think one good thing was that some of them had uh, like evidence, I guess. They were sort of asking... But it's a thing, you another thing that was bizarre about this. Again, I don't know if this is the case in 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 every one of their hearings, but also to just to, for like getting a better picture all those ceos were not they were not subpoenaed they appeared out of whatever free will they mm -hmm. decided to volunteer to appear <clears throat> but they congress also had a lot of um background material already on that they had a lot of mm -hmm. emails that steve steve mm -hmm. jobs sent to eddie q yeah i noticed all of those emails that sort of circulated yeah um some ones about the 30 percent cut and yeah. reducing that for amazon and things mm -hmm. like that yeah and I mean, there were certain things where they just knew for a fact. It's like, yes, Amazon and Apple had a deal of mm. charging a lower rate. Mm. And then the Cong someone from Congress would ask, hey, did you have uh, any deals with any companies that you treat differently? And then uh, Tim would talk about that every developer is treated equally. I'm like, this is such a weird, strange format where it's like they, they have some evidence, they ask some questions, everything is is, is like... Mm. I, I don't even think... Uh, yes, they did say... Every developer is treated equally, but they also said every developer goes through the same process. Yeah, which is um, yeah, uh, but yeah, it yeah. was very very strange, which we all know is not true. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean the same process. Yeah, that's sure. the thing. It's such a broad term. Like a process can include a separate term, right? Like yeah, a, a process I mean, I thought John Syracuse's analysis of this on on ATP was interesting. That it probably is technically correct, and what. The yes. lawyers yeah. wanted them to say because but that's the thing, right? The implication it's, isn't, isn't yeah. yeah, and that's what I'm saying. I think like the way they worded it was fine for them yeah. to to not get in trouble, but I think sure, the yeah. people didn't really follow up on those 
those ways. But it's, it's like the process means nothing, right? It's like yes, every developer goes to App Store Connect and selects mm. their build and hits submit, and that's the process. And then if it's if it's Uber, it goes to our Uber representative for the App Store review team that look at it uh, based through our our fork in the in the process that goes. If it's Uber, then do this. You know, it's it's like sure. It might be the same process, but it's just, it, it also wouldn't make no sense. Like it would, of course, not every developer is treated equally no, because no. that that is not a thing that happens anywhere. Of course, Apple has. If if Apple would find something in Facebook, of course they would give them a call mm-hmm. and talk mm-hmm. about it and make them fix it and then expedite that review because obviously Apple's not just going to yank Facebook's developer certificate. Exactly. And it doesn't make sense to treat everyone equally. Like no. Facebook is way more important to the Apple ecosystem and the App Store generally than any app that we've ever worked mm. on. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. just the fact. Yeah. It's the way that it is. If Facebook was to disappear off the store, way bigger repercussions mm. than, you know, the stuff that we work on. Yeah. But it was also just the way it is. Like other things like Spotify, right? A direct competitor. Mm-hmm. Um, if Apple would remove Spotify, that would actually, you could say there there might be other uh, exterior motives that, that led yeah. them to want to remove them. Of course, yep. Apple is more careful around those kind of things because they don't want to yep. open themselves up to a lawsuit where Spotify can claim Apple removed us from the store and we now lost $100 trillion in revenue as a result of that. But I would also hope they do that in a way that benefits the end user as well. If you, if you have an app where they have potentially been misusing some permissions in the past, I would mm-hmm. hope that, that that company would be a bit more under their... Microscope, yeah, exactly. Oh, but it that absolutely is. Uh, um, I have apps that are on lists. Uh, <laughs> I need to talk to people at the next WWDC. I forgot to do it this year. What did you um, do? I you make it sound really be- suspicious. No, it's nothing bad. I put shortcuts behind uh, an in-app purchase, and you're not allowed to restrict uh, system-level features. What mm-hmm. you can do is you can say, oh, you can only add, like, two custom shortcuts or something mm. before you have to pay, but you can't hide the whole feature. Anyway, bit of a misunderstanding. I wasn't deliberately trying <laughs> okay. to break the rules, but I got a lovely note from App Review that I'm no longer eligible for expedited reviews and my app's review time will be uh, longer going forward and all of this great stuff, mm. basically saying, and we like, don't trust you, you're on a blacklist. Yeah, <laughs> and that sucks, but I think it still potentially could be good for harmful apps. I mean, your app was not yeah, harmful. Yeah, no, but like, totally. Like, it doesn't make sense to treat every app the same. I, yeah. I've, obviously, I actually accidentally did the wrong thing and i'm now on a list but you want to put dodgy apps on a list even mm. if my app doesn't belong there um, but then yeah. there are also other things if you if you do notice some like weird exploitative app on the app store you probably want to yank that directly if you would find yes. something suspicious in a let's say one of the COVID tracking apps does something that might be private api apple yeah. might not just yank it because, no you give them a call first you, yeah. you, you ask what's going and on. it's not necessarily because it's the most Apple business aligned app in the world, but it's because mm-hmm. it, it has definitely more more importance than my coffee app, right? But it actually, just- that's a good point about the COVID apps. Like they fly through app review and in general, like, you know, I think I think sometimes government apps, depending on the the type of app, can fly through app review. Mm-hmm. Um, and but- that's totally understandable. Like if you've got a pandemic app in the middle of a pandemic, it probably deserves to be reviewed yeah. a bit faster mm-hmm. than it every should. other it, app. It totally should. Yeah, and it the totally same thing if, 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 I don't know, the Australian government has a tax app where you can do your taxes. Mm. It, let's say there is a critical bug in there. You would want that to be fixed super, super quickly. 
rather than people filing incorrect tax returns. That's、mm-hmm. just saying, right? It makes sense that you might have some kind of way for for those kind of apps that impact like the entire nation that they might have a way of getting those kind of things fixed, even if it's a weekend. Well, well,、uh, Kai Malinzak's small、uh, utility app might not get that, and that makes sense. And I don't think、totally. you would find、yeah. anyone who would say.、Uh, We don't want that. Yep, yep. Anyway,、mm-hmm. we kind of digress here. But yeah, that that hearing very strange.、Um, it's a bit. I don't know when I watched that and I felt like that is mixed tech look really really bad because all those answers were like politician answers on steroids. Yeah, that's that's sort of why I would like to see another hearing with. Some that that touches on something else to hear, like it's just a common type of resp- way of responding. But yeah, either way, though, when I looked at it, I felt like, man, I do understand why people might、mm. start to get fed up with a lot of tech CEOs and tech companies, because that is really、uh, something cool. All right, so yeah, that was that was that. It was. I, I would recommend people to to have a quick look at it if if you're at all intrigued by our our quick review of of this.、Mm. It was very bizarre. It was extremely bizarre. Cool. All right.、Um, more less bizarre things.、Uh, Apple's quarterly earnings for Q3 2020 are up.、Uh, did any of you have a look at it? A bit. Cool.、Um, <laughs> overall,、um, no, I didn't. <laughs> just, just. Yeah, I've been great this week. <laughs> overall, just super brief recap.、Um, everything went up. I think I I don't think there was any category that didn't go up. Is that、uh, surprising given the pandemic? I would think like、uh, it clearly it surprised analysts surprising. because Apple stock went up like eleven、yeah. percent or something. And I also、oh, think、wow. Apple did intention not have any estimated earnings for this quarter.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was something like that. Yep.、Um, but it it kind of makes sense, right?、Um, because like a lot more people probably needed Macs to work from home. Yeah, but I, I just feel like wouldn't most people have had a computer at their work? It's not like they all of a sudden had to start working from home, right? I don't know. Maybe there were Macs that were not supposed to be moved from their workplaces or something. But yeah, Mac year over year Mac revenue change, one of the largest in in quite some time, went up twenty two percent. So yay, yay Mac!、Uh, iPad went up thirty one percent. See, iPad I can imagine being potentially like kids learning from home. Because you might have had like a family computer or a family、mm-hmm. iPad, and then if your kid is start, gonna start taking school class, school lessons from home, you、mm. need to have a dedicated device.、Mm. Some some schools also require iPads. Yes.、Um, and yeah, iPhone went up two percent,、uh, not a lot, but still going up. Service revenue, woohoo! Services、uh, also up fifteen percent.、Um, so everything, everything up. Thanks to App Store downloads. Yeah, and wearable home and accessories was up sixteen point seven four percent. Not、yeah. bad. So overall, everything went up. And I mean, there, there are a few factors to that, right? I do think people probably needed more Apple devices from working from home or doing school from home or doing whatever from home.、Um, iPhone not growing that tremendously. <laughs> I mean, who uses a phone at the moment?、Um, <laughs> and It's probably also that Apple's supply chain is better equipped or recovered quicker than others, right? If you have a supply chain, you're probably making sure you supply Apple first when things come back online, because、mm-hmm. Apple is probably higher margin than most of their competitors.、Mm-hmm. So if if others still had、um, supply chain constraints, I think Apple is probably the first one that came back online quickly and could actually supply the the increase、mm-hmm. in demand. 
which is also interesting. But yeah, overall, I mean, it's, mm. it's always difficult, right? Everyone is, everyone is miserable, and Apple is like, look at us, we make more money. Um, you know, I don't know, I don't know how many people were like as excited about Apple's sixty billion dollars in revenue, uh, while while a lot of people are unemployed and losing their jobs and being miserable and sick and those kind of things. So it's 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 a weird. Yeah, it's and, a weird time to have those type of announcements. Yeah, it's not really. Hey, it's celebration. Everyone had to work from home, hmm. and enough people stayed alive to buy our product. It's not really a slogan I would hear Apple going with. Um, but yeah, everything everything went up. Uh, and I'm I'm happy about the Mac going up. Yeah, yeah. No, me me too. Um, and I think I mean I I think that will only keep going now when we have more and more of Apple's new stuff coming, like all the new R Mac. There were also some I don't know how trustworthy they they were. Just sawing on Twitter some some rumors about potential new um, Mac devices. Yeah, that might be the first ones. So where. You're saying this was not very trustworthy. I'm not saying it isn't trustworthy. I just don't know how trustworthy it is. Okay. All right. So what was the actual rumor? Um, so what this person, and I, it's, it's so reliable, I don't even know, remember the Twitter account. But it's, it's not so much that I, I want to put like extra value on that particular speculation. I just thought it's, it's a fun thing to talk about. Um, what that person wrote was that... Their expectation, based on their sources, is that the first new ARM or the first ARM Max will be the a new MacBook without uh, suffix, um, which will be a 12-inch MacBook uh, with one one USB-C port, a uh, running the A14X, coming with eight and sixteen gigs of RAM and I don't know two five six gigs of SSD storage, and that one would be fanless. And then the it's Mac- interesting because the MacBook itself is not available anymore. Yeah. So it's it would make sense that they took it off the line, mm-hmm. and then sort of rework. And I feel like the fanlessness makes sense, makes a bit more sense in this scenario. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, and and Apple shows that they can have iPads without fans. I'm sure yeah. they can have it in in a Mac. And I think the the quarter battery life was somewhere around 15 plus hours, 15 to 22 or something crazy. Uh, which again is not unreasonable for for a twelve inch device, right? The iPad is within that ballpark, I think, uh, and it's probably thinner than this device would be. And interestingly, uh, a new the new generation butterfly keyboard, because I'm sure uh, everyone. See, is... this is why I'm starting to think this might not be a real rumor. <laughs> but that would be. I, I think that would be fun if if we get another butterfly keyboard. I just don't know if they would call it a butterfly keyboard. <laughs> I feel like people have such a bad taste. What would they call it? A wing creature coming from uh... (laughs) a a moth keyboard. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, let's go with that. Um, No, but I I was actually. um, I I just feel like it's it's something that people just don't want to use anymore. And obviously, they would make it better this time. But it's a bit strange to take it take it away and then add it back. That's the one device. If if I would have to pick one device in the world that gets a keyboard that's designed to be thinner, it would be uh, the smallest device, Mm -hmm. portable device Apple makes. Yeah, it's true. It's one of the, it's the one where thinness and lightness matters the most. So we we have been talking about there potentially being a 14 inch MacBook Pro in the future as well that replaces the current 16, uh, no, sorry, the current 13 inch MacBook Mm -hmm. Pro. Do you think that would still happen? Yeah, so that was the other rumor. I, I don't remember the size, but that it's the 13-ish Pro 
Um, and that then has four Thunderbolt ports, also runs an A14X, or rather four USB-C ports. We'll see about the whole Thunderbolt situation. I mean, it will have Thunderbolt, but mm-hmm. based on this, it was called USB-C ports. And that would be the regular new updated keyboard, the new scissor keyboard. Yeah, yeah. that's the Magic Keyboard style keyboard. Um, and yeah, four ports, touch bar, and touch ID. Seems sensible. Yeah. So that's, what... what yeah. Do you, do you two think that the touch bar will be around for? I think so. I don't feel like they have a reason to take it away, honestly. It's not seeming to be buggy. It doesn't seem to cause problems for people. I just think people don't really like it, but I don't, I don't think people dislike it enough. Do you think we'll have it for, do you still think that most pro-ish laptops from Apple will have a touch bar in four years? Four years is a long time. Two, yes. Okay. I don't know about four, because at that, by that point, we'll probably be at the next generation, and mm-hmm. who knows what that looks like. But, um, yeah. I still like the touch bar. Like, I know I'm not the best, so I'm not the best person to criticize it, but I have no problem with it. And, like, it yeah, it just doesn't get in the way, and I don't think it's any worse than function keys. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand people don't like it, but mm-hmm. that's not my experience. I would just I'm love the option. Fan. That's all. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's fair. the thing that's for totally me as well. Fair. And for me, it yeah. always felt a bit like I'm not realistically going to use it. And the price, I felt, especially when there was the one. So I have the 13 inch without the, uh, without the, without the touchpad, touchpad, touch bar, touch, touch bar, bar. Uh, without the touch bar. And I could choose which one I wanted. And I sort of felt like, well, I'm not well, going to pay. Well, you were kind of handicapped as a result of that with your machine. The, oh, the well, touch bar one would have had significantly upgrade components and two yeah. extra ports, and that was actually quite a different machine. That's the thing. Like the, the, it, you though, can look at the price just... difference and go, oh, it's $700 or whatever it might be, but you're not just getting the yeah. touch bar. Like You are getting a significantly better MacBook Pro that happens to have a touch bar. Mm. But at that point, wasn't it only the touch bar and the extra ports that were the only differences? But no, 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 no. There was definitely yeah. a performance. The, the CPU... So it... Uh, the MacBook Pro with the Touch Bar when they first came out had an had an extra fan and so went from I think the 15 to the 29 or 30 watt processors mm-hmm. whatever the the jump mm-hmm. was so from like the MacBook Air style to the MacBook like the previous MacBook Pro style even though they're all called the MacBook Pro this mm-hmm. is obviously still an uh, a gripe that I have with uh, mm-hmm. those lineups from four years ago because um, I did the same thing I got the one without a Touch Bar but it was a significantly worse machine mm-hmm. than the one with the Touch Bar. And that's the thing. And I think it, the decision for a lot of people came down to do I want the touch bar or not, when in reality, there was a huge difference between the the performance of the machines mm-hmm. as well, which was yeah. very easy to miss just browsing through the specs. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes more sense then. And yeah, uh, I don't know if I would have made a difference. Uh, I, I plan to have this computer for quite a short time, so I probably wouldn't have made a different. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't have made a different decision. <laughs> but yeah, now when you mention that, that makes sense that that would have an impact on the price well, I do as well. wonder what Apple uses as a where where the touch bar is for Apple internally like what's their opinion on it because it doesn't get a lot of changes right it's not really something that uh, part of the product that we see like significant mm-hmm. improvements year over year we don't see significant improvements in any of the macOS updates right I don't think we've had any mention of the touch bar explicitly since it was announced there wasn't like mm-hmm. major new updates for the touch bar in, in Big Sur no there wasn't even mentioned that Big Sur has anything to do with the touch bar mm-hmm. um, Apple doesn't really have any apart from like surveys they do and their own internal use they don't 
have any kind of clear indication of how how beloved that thing is mm -hmm. because realistically what do you go by right even if they would keep analytics what do you say oh people increase and decrease their volume they must love the touch bar it's like yeah or the music was really loud mm. you know you can't really there's because there's it's no alternative there is no way of measuring any kind of success yeah they're in different device lines which also means like is it that people need more performance or do they really yeah. want the touch bar yeah. it's like at the moment i feel like apple doesn't seem to really show a lot of commitment or desire to to change anything with it yeah. they made it slightly smaller once to to add an escape key mm -hmm. um which I, a lot of people really i mean that's not my biggest gripe i'm, I'm okay with the escape key either way um it made it smaller though so that's i guess that's a win um another another five more another 10 more times and i'm happy again um but it's a bit it's it's weird right considering that there doesn't seem to be a lot of internal investment and a lot of internal passion for it considering it's it's low rate of change or improvement mm -hmm. but also not real indication i don't see a lot of like i see people that are oblivious to the touch bar i see mm -hmm. some people that are like if i would be given the choice mm -hmm. i would pick the touch bar and i see people that i was like no i hate it mm -hmm. it's terrible and people are like i don't care i would either way whichever it's cheaper yeah but you haven't told someone who's like i love the touch bar my change I mean, there, there probably uh, are so it's just I, I don't know where where kind of where it sits I, yeah. i think it's it's definitely there is effort to to make it to build it it's definitely more expensive than keys you know mm -hmm. um I, i just wonder where it sits within apple it's really hard for me to judge mm -hmm. how likely it is that it goes away because i thought all right it doesn't seem to be an overwhelming success there wasn't a lot of extra investment so it's probably going to go away at some point yeah, but it I seems just, to just still be there i just feel like there has to be another Uh, like I said, it's not in the way. It's not really. Uh, I don't think the newer model have caused significant problems hardware-wise. I mean, I've like, had more issues with the touch bar than I've had with my other parts of the keyboard. Even with the butterfly keyboard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd pick a butterfly keyboard function key row over a touch bar row. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Just because, like, I don't know if you've had that, but I've had the touch bar freeze on me. I've never had the keys freeze on me. <laughs> I had um the volume being kind of janky and then just jumping to full volume while I was wearing headphones. Was yeah, that's true. But that's what I was saying. Wasn't I had this crash, the earlier model uh, that required? Huh? Wasn't this? Weren't these the early models of the touch bar? Yeah, I think the second generation. But still, it's like my keys never crashed. Yeah. <laughs> no, and no, I, and I, so for me, I don't see the v value in it. So I would mm -hmm. I would go with the one without. But my point is more around, I don't know where Apple sits on it. Because yeah. usually you can kind of see, like, Apple clearly cares about Apple Watch, right? Yeah. There's no no doubt about yeah. it. They, they care. Like, some years are bigger, some years are smaller. But you wouldn't question whether Apple thinks this is a product that's staying around. You can clearly see uh, the, the kind of parts of the MacBook the, that Apple cares about. They clearly care about the display. They clearly mm -hmm. care about the audio system more and more now and invest in that they yeah. clearly don't care about facetime cameras in them you know it's clearly not a focus area i mean yeah. i understand physical constraints but it's clearly something that apple doesn't think is is one of the core things that they have to improve in this device uh, and it's the touch bar i just can't can't judge no no I, i see what you mean and i think but i just feel like i almost feel like there has to be a reason for them to remove it like there has to either be like huge 
problems with it or it has to be something else coming into place as a replacement. I don't know if they will go back on just having keyboard, like a full, full keyboard with, um, like w- with regular keys. And I wonder if it's like, and, and even if that would have been the case, we quite recently saw a change in the keyboard in general. Mm-hmm. They rebooted. That would have been the time. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I feel like to get back to your question, whether or not we will see them in four years, I think we might do. Uh, because I don't know why they wouldn't have removed them. If they were that close to removing them, they would probably have removed them at this point. Yeah, yeah. But it's a thing. It's it's such in such a weird state because there are not a lot of other components that are so stationary. Like Apple hmm. replaces other parts, like the CPUs get upgrades, like the audio system got the microphones that get updates. I mean, in a sixteen inch, not so much in a thirteen inch. Hmm. Um, and and I mean, clearly there Trackpad are trackpad is getting improvements. Is it? Uh, well, it, it did quite recently. Uh, like they moved in from having it clickable. Years. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. But the touch bar is kind of as it came on day one, and that's that's odd for something that is you know it it was designed to be like a computing device, like a screen that can change. But not a lot has happened, which I just found a bit odd. So I do wonder... It clearly is not like a higher priority feature. So I do wonder if at some point it might just fade away because there's some... It's not worth the extra... Because clearly it's more work than than keys. I just wonder if Apple thinks if there are any issues with it ever coming up, whether that would be worth it. And I thought R might be another reason that they're like, mm, we no longer want to do this kind of off-screen rendering, but yeah, we'll see. Mm. And then the other thing is the iPhone 12 is delayed by a couple of weeks. Yeah, that was yeah. Also part I think of the it was something call. that we all sort of expected at this point, but it's probably good to have it official. Mm. Um I so it's, people, it's just a couple it, of weeks. It's just so the expectations, right? But yeah. how, do we actually know that it's a couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah, that was explicitly okay. said um, during because the earnings October, call. Yeah, because that's always what I... That's something I wasn't sure about, because October is a whole month. No, so the thing is, the, the previous iPhone was announced in, or was available in late September 27th? Mm-hmm. Sometime, sometime in late September. And a couple of weeks just pushes that definitively into October. Mm. Um, I do wonder if that means iOS 14 is also pushed by a couple of weeks. Um, if Apple's asking for feedback on that, I would appreciate that because we <laughs> still have oh, some ways to go to get all of our iOS 14 stuff uh, done. <laughs> so yes, if, if if anyone's asking me, feel free to to push it a couple of weeks. I'll take that. It's, it's like, you know, when you're uh, in university and you get an email from your professor saying the, exa- uh, the assignment is extended... Mm-hmm. That that's kind of how how that would feel. <laughs> just, <laughs> same feeling. Yeah. Just that sometimes you're, during university, getting the email that something was extended was the first time I heard about the assignment in the first place. <laughs> but that's a different kind of story. Hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. No, but I think I don't know why it would be later. Just because, like, it doesn't really have any correlation. Does it need? It doesn't have an inherent reason why they would wait with it until October. No, it's just it's Apple's just in for the sake of, of like, staying in a pattern. Yeah. yeah, like the week before you get iOS fourteen, and then the week after the iPhone is available, mm. or or whatever the pattern is. So, what do you two think? Let's say iOS is also being delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about macOS? Do you? Think I mean, macOS is always coming a bit later. I, I I wouldn't be surprised if we're not seeing that until like late October, early November. 
I don't think that there's as much of an urgency. The betas are still having a lot of edges that I think will be polished. Uh, some of the frameworks still still being getting significant improvements. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if if that is coming later because it doesn't it doesn't seem as urgent as iPhone stuff, right? iPhone stuff is just it needs to be there. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest urgency Apple has with Big Sur is it needs to be ready for whenever the ARM Macs are coming. You know, that yeah. is the absolute latest possible date for this operating system to ship. But I don't think Apple has the same urgency with that. I'm sure they have a, t- a point in time in mind. But if something has to give, that's the one that is that sh- is probably giving and the one that should give, you know? So I'm, uh, I don't know if I, if I would be forced to make a prediction, I would say it's the earliest it would be is very late October okay. for macOS. Okay. I mean, maybe, maybe it comes together, but it's, it's unlikely. I think why not take the time? It's, it's so much. Yeah. Like I feel that too. And especially since like, if, if there are any problems, you can hold off a bit, especially since Catalina wasn't getting great, um, reputation, um, it could be good if this has a better, a better feel to it. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I I don't mind Catalina as much as as it seems like a lot of other people do. I'm I'm quite happy with Catalina overall. Um, yeah, yeah, me too. But I just but, think in general, when it was released, people were not very happy with it. Yeah, and it's it's a huge update, right? It's so many design things. There's still a lot of like inconsistencies here and there, and I'm sure Apple is also aware of them. So we'll see what, what if if something should take a little bit more time to get it right. You know, I'm I'm sure iOS gets all the resources that Apple can find anywhere, mm-hmm. um, and macOS is just not as urgent. There's no, you know, if Apple would not ship uh, macOS until, and if they would ship it like the week before the ARM Macs are coming out, let's say in November or 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 like late november even mm-hmm. there's no no harm to anyone like developers will be just fine consumers will be just fine there's no one that's immediately harmed by that i think everyone at this point everyone will be is busy with enough enough other things both as developers and and people that use macs i don't think anyone has any kind of immediate urgency to update macros i'm i'm excited about it i'm looking mm-hmm. forward to bixer but I, I i'm i'm okay if it's if it's late november again kind of yeah uh, but do you can say that about anything then you could also say no one is urgently needing a new iphone or a yeah, new I, uh, apple does version. like there's there's a very clear correlation between apple's income and iphone releases mm-hmm. so it's not it's not really an option for apple to say you know what let's do a no, no iphone year how about that you know that's that's just not mm-hmm. like stocks would tank and people would would go crazy i I just don't think that's gonna happen that it's based on what apple is as a company they're 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 like their primary focus if they if they could only hit one thing a year and they would have to let everything else go it would be shipping the the new iphone with the new ios build yeah that is if 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 nothing else would be released during a year that's the one thing they need to hit i agree so I was weird. just playing Devil's Advocate. Mm. Cool. All right. Anything else based on quarterly earnings or iOS? I mean, we, we, we'll probably talk more about the iPhone sizes next week. So do you week. think, okay, do you think that Apple, the Apple Watch will be delayed then as well? Uh, good question. <laughs> didn't even cross my mind. <laughs> I didn't even think of that either. I'm like, what are there that any other That has to come pl- out at the same time as the iPhone. I would think, right. I mean, within a week, you would want iOS. I mean, WatchOS is sort of based on iOS, so you would probably yeah. release those about the same time. Yeah, and you also, don't want to be. 
in yeah. a situation because things get weird if you update watchOS before iOS. And yes. I know in certain versions you can't update watchOS without having updated iOS. I don't know what it's like mm-hmm. for 14. But that, that's um, an okay situation so if they need to hold watchOS because they yeah, yeah. they need mm-hmm. to get iOS done. That's okay. You know, if yep. if they would say, "Are oh, the watch is a bit later and watchOS is a bit later," mm. like watchOS five works fine with iOS fourteen. Yeah, watchOS six. Where are we? Six, right? Yeah, yeah. That's <laughs> not a confident. <laughs> oh, I don't know. There's a lot of watchOSs. They don't change much over the years. I think, <laughs> thing, I feel like watchOS is really the operating system where it cannot keep track of the numbering. I don't know if it's like, yeah. I guess TV lines up with iOS, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, easy. it's WatchOS okay. 6 at the moment. Yeah. Oh. Okay, cool. It just, WatchOS has such wildly worry, varying feature set based, like yeah. sometimes, what was it, 3 to 4 was huge and 4 to 5 was small? I forgot. Mm, something like that. But it kind of, something TikTok-y. And then the weird thing where certain features are not necessarily part of the major, like certain features for WatchOS 6 didn't make it in watchOS 6 all across the world, like the ECG stuff with a new watch even, right? Yeah. Um, that didn't make it uh, in all countries simultaneously. That kind of trickled through in like different watchOS 6 builds uh, throughout the year. Um, can't, where yeah, I can't believe it's been two years since the watch first came out with ECG. And yet oh, we can't two use years it. ago. See, I'm, I'm terrible years, Yeah, because yeah, I've got it in my now? watch and my watch isn't uh, the modern one. Okay, does ECG work in Australia yet? No. Okay. No. Yeah. So that's the thing also, right? With WatchOS and so many health things, like some things that were released in WatchOS 5 are still not available in WatchOS 6 in Australia, for example. So it's yep. it's also feels weird because I, I don't remember when we got ECG here, but it was also not on day one. So it's just you kind of get WatchOS is a bit more fluid with that, at least in my experience with it. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. Cool. So, Zach, I saw you released a new update for your app. Congrats. Congrats. Is everything burning? (laughs) No, nothing's burning. Uh, We can talk about this very, very quickly. Uh, But I did a phased release. So, at the moment, we're talking like 1% of users. So, 1% is burning? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't actually, if I'm looking at my graphs, I haven't noticed a... Um, an uptick in usage at all. So, that's probably a good sign. You mean on Um, the server or...? On the server, like okay. in terms of, uh, uh, there's a little bit more traffic throughput, but no. Um, do Do uh, we want to mention the server part so people understand what we're talking about? Oh right. Well, <laughs> this this the big thing about this change is that um, the app's now pointing at my own server instead of um, going direct to the API, which means I can do more things eventually. Because um, I built some fancy custom APIs. None of those are made use of in the app at the moment, but this is more just about paving the way, making sure my server is working so that when I do go to release those fancy features in a couple of months, um, I don't have to get over the initial hump of making sure the server works too. Um, So yeah, I'm keeping a close eye on it. Uh, It'll probably be a bit more telling in a few days once it's rolled out to like 50% of users, Mm -hmm. um, just so I can get a sense for server load and make sure I'm on the right plan Mm -hmm. there. And make changes and adjust if I need to. So that's a nice thing with like using a backend as well. You can just make changes if you notice that there are inefficiencies. You can just yes. make the change and then roll that out directly. You don't have mm-hmm. to wait for Apple. So that's yeah, something exactly. I found. I mean, obviously you should still make sure everything is working perfectly before, but if you if you feel like a bit more nervous because it has the server component, which is quite a big change. You at yeah. least have the comfort that you can change things. Yeah, that's a good point. I still don't have a good way to like automate releases for backend stuff. So I'm just like literally logging in and either like pulling the Git project mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. um 
or copying the latest version over. I've done that a few times. So it'll be interesting now that it's in production to see uh, ways that I can sort of streamline that workflow. Mm. But yeah, at the moment, my very manual approach to updates has worked. So and we'll I, see how it goes. Realistically, I don't think it's that big a deal. I, I wouldn't do no. manual copying because then, especially if you get to a point where you actually have user data on the server because you don't want to accidentally override user data right but as long as you know this is just for the the actual project files yeah yeah, i know but like at some point you could in theory have folders with like a user profile picture right i did right like i i have that for um for being there for example we actually have a folder that's part of the same hierarchy where where my backend puts the the older um public pictures so if you would happen to to drag in your files you might over accidentally overwrite that folder and then you deleted all your users uh profile pictures which would be not ideal so i wouldn't right. i wouldn't recommend that because that also then leads to oh, i i kind of want to just drag in this file because i think that's the only thing that changed and then you mm-hmm. forgot that you also changed something in in a constants file somewhere else so i would i would definitely i think the just doing like your your git flow or your git uh, approach yeah. of it, like pulling mm-hmm. um ideally um don't pull the whole thing because you don't need the entire history on the server that's just bloating it unnecessary mm-hmm. uh yeah. like only configured in a way that you're not keeping the history but only the yeah. latest it's tiny i need like it's like three megs if i just all actually right. no that's with all with all the git history it's like three megs okay not so too bad then it's fine yeah no but i just um i clear the clear the build if i do the manual copy i obviously clear the vapor build folder mm. and redo it on the mm. server because yeah, that's that's what takes up all the space mm. i found yeah but i wouldn't worry too much about like for for your workflow i mean setting up yeah. the, the automatic build and you want something that you know then you need a machine that kind of triggers to build that is on the same architecture and the same configuration and then push the binary yeah, no, over it's no and that's the thing i'm not expecting to deploy very often i've got a test server that i can sort of play around with and then just when i'm ready to go production just simply log in and and pull and then do that you know sometime after midnight or close to midnight so that (laughs) if there's that like it's not much downtime but if there's a minute or two of downtime um yeah the nice thing for you is that all of your users are in australia yeah so right, you can yeah. very comfortably know when there's going to be downtime, yes. when when people are not going to use steps that much. Exactly. And if you are using it at that time, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> but also realistically, no, no. Th- that's that's the thing too, right? When you're deploying a change, what you're doing is um, you build a binary, assuming you use the same machine for, to build a binary, I assume. Is that what you're doing? What do you mean? You you copy the code over or you get the code on the machine and then you actually mm-hmm. build the binary, the Vapor oh, binary, yeah, yeah. on the same yeah, machine, the machine that also runs the API, right? Yes, yes. So you're not stopping your server. I mean, you have extra no. load from the compilation, which yeah. if, if you get to a certain size, you might want to break that into different machines, a build machine and a yeah. API machine. But in theory, your API is available all the time. And then all yeah. it does is restart the application which should take a fraction of a second yeah so it's it's the downtime is so insignificant that i don't think that's probably something you will run into i mean there will be server restarts and those kind of things to to install like kernel kernel updates and those kind of things but it's it's nice when you when you have all users in one time zone you just restart it in the middle of the night Mm -hmm. and probably no one will care um so i wanted to ask now when you've been Working with like Vapor and the backend for a while. How do you like it in comparison to regular iOS work? Um, it's different. It sort of scratches a different itch. Um, I quite like the whole no UI thing. 
because <laughs> UI development turns out kind of sucks and it's really hard. Um, but I really like the like not having to worry about a UI component. Like mm-hmm. the interface is a, a an API. Like a it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's just it's just a lot of fun because I don't do much stuff that doesn't have uh, a UI component at all. So to not have to worry about like to to mm. to write some logic and then be like oh this is done that's mm. kind of cool um it's not like oh logic's done but now i have to hook it up to to ui so yeah that part's quite yeah, interesting yeah. and um, even on the client the logic like everything that you're changing is logic as well right you don't have any ui differences do you yeah yeah that's true um so yeah it's it's quite fun um and then there's just the whole uh deployment side of things which is fun because obviously i haven't really had to worry about different ways of deploying software for a few years after I mastered the app store and have done Google play, it's like, ah, well, that's kind of those skills just kind of sat there because not much has changed in terms of delivering mobile apps for years. Um, But now this is a a fun way to worry about deploying. And I'm sure I'm doing lots of things wrong, but the good thing about uh, this project being my first one is that it doesn't actually matter because I'm not dealing with user data. So, you know, if my security is a bit off on the server, doesn't really matter there's no pii i you send no pii to my server it stores nothing it stores no like it's got nothing um if i lost everything tomorrow it's a bit of a shame but i've lost a bit of history and petrol prices like it's not the end of the world i do actually back everything up uh daily but yeah it's it's been a fun new challenge in like a low risk environment Mm. yeah that makes sense no i do agree it is quite satisfying to just do like the logic side of things i think that is quite satisfying and it's like you say it's a different type of work i would not want to only do that i think i really like ui development in general and swift ui has been fun most times um but uh, yeah overall i think what i really liked about doing back-end development and front-end development or and like and ios development is that you just so flexible it's like you can make something happen on your own like well that's something i really like that you don't have like the way that kai and i work we don't really have one of us doing back end and one of us doing the front end part it's like you can just make a whole system on your own and i quite like how i can just like implement the api on the back end side or even stub it out in the beginning and then i can pick it up on uh, on the front end and finish up the things i want to do and like i said i do like the ui part as well so i don't think that's I don't mind doing that part too. Um, but yeah, for me, it was very much like so exciting to just be able to like be so flexible in it. And I think it can be beneficial to like, even if you might not totally work on that side, understanding it in terms of like API design and how, like how that whole part of the system works, I think is like really, uh, fun and really, yeah, it, I, I thought yeah. that was like, like you say, it is a different type of work and i think it's fun to mix it up yeah i agree um i because i i haven't actually touched the back end for probably the better part of two months now um it's mostly just been in a zach testing state and (laughs) i'm pretty satisfied that nothing's broken which is really good um (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh, but uh while i was doing that work yeah it was a lot of fun um Hmm. and and like i will have to do more um the thing is, I've actually built a lot of the APIs that I need for future versions already. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just sort of one more 
that I need to add. So I will have to dive back into that code eventually, but I'm not sure whether that'll be in time for the next release. But from what I saw uh, when I was testing the new APIs months ago, they work pretty solidly too. Mm. So it's great. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It's also, it's I don't know, there's some kind of weird satisfaction from doing iOS for so, so long, especially like in the early days. It's like you bring a rectangle... Uh, window to the to the front or view and you do things and then someone hits the home button and it goes away and that's it and that's Mm -hmm. your app is now no longer running there's nothing happening Uh, backend development inherently runs all the time i mean ideally unless you did a whole (laughs) bunch of things wrong and uh, there's so many options that you have from things that are running behind the scenes and being able to respond to certain actions that happen in in your entire user base is it's kind of fun like being able to like send emails to users when they like invite someone right and it's just somehow magically it's i mean we wrote the code so it's not that (laughs) magic but it somehow feels super satisfying that you hit you invite someone and then it it talks to mail server tells the mail server what the content should be sends it off and then you see it popping up in the email client Mm. somehow that is oddly satisfying to do those things and if that works and it's like reliable and you have certain things that might be like scheduled even for for like you know if you have things Mm -hmm. that are like happening on certain schedules and kind of i don't know it's it's oddly satisfying and it's also so um testable but not in a like test-driven development style but testable as in i wrote an api mm-hmm. i know what it's supposed to do does it do it yeah and it's like if it does you're you're kind of done it's not like oh i forgot if if someone drags with two fingers from here and then rotates in the middle of the drag i i forget a weird offset and then yeah, i have to adjust. exactly <laughs> that was my complaint about ui development yeah. honestly ui is hard to test like you can have a million ui tests in your projects mm-hmm. but you know you don't rely on them 100 mm-hmm. percent. Yeah, um, but it's even hard right even if you would have a ui test where it's like You drag an element that is draggable and you do your own custom transition between view controllers, for example, and you then want to support a rotation in the middle of that transition. That's just super, super hard. And that's a combination of there's a lot of weird math that happens, but it's also the APIs are a bit awkward around that. And it's like, (sighs) but you know, it's there, you know, that bug might be there. You know that most people will not rotate the device. I mean, this is arbitrary. I'm not actually having that issue, but <laughs> no, it's because like, we're making a backup. It, so I, mean, <laughs> I hope not. Um, but you know, it's it, you. You sometimes have things where you like know in theory there's a problem. I know exists. If I rotate this device in the middle of the transition, it will no longer track the finger correctly because mm-hmm. the offset or whatever your calculation is is slightly mm-hmm. off, and it bothers you slightly. No one will ever care. No one will dislike your app anymore you will not lose a single sale but you know it's there and mm-hmm. it bothers you slightly yep. and i f- feel like back-end development i have a lot more situations so i'm like all right i built this api it's done i raise a pull request and i'm just a hundred percent satisfied my own yeah. goals for this yeah. feature and i think that yeah. is yeah uh, and i feel like ui development is I, I like it as well. I wouldn't not want to touch that ever again, right? I, I do enjoy yeah. being doing some UI development, but I feel like it's just a combination of a lot more compromises that you do all the time. I feel like I'm ninety, I'm aiming for ninety eight percent happy with the things I build, mm-hmm. but hundred mm-hmm. is not maintainable usually, and yeah. it it just bugs me ever so slightly that I know that getting the last 2% of happiness for my UI development to get it just right is a colossal waste of my time. No one will ever care. And it would probably take longer But it is getting than- easier with Swift UI. Like, 
that's another discussion, but it's easier. I'm finding less edge cases that in Swift UI. That is um, true. Layouts than I than I ever did in UIKit. That is true. But then there also yeah. there, there there might be other things where it's like SwiftUI doesn't do a thing quite the way well, you want yes, it, and yes. then you're in in a different uh, kind of uh, I don't know a situation of doom where it's like yeah, um, it's 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 still it can still happen, right? I I do agree with you that I feel for like normal flows have it less frequently, but it still happens and it's still annoying. And with backend and like server side development, I just I feel like I get to a hundred percent a lot more often than than anything else, and somehow that's oddly satisfying. Cool. Hmm. All right. Should we wrap this up? Should we do things and uh, things of the week? Yes. And then wrap it, it up, and yeah. then we Sounds can good. save some of the team stuff for when we actually ship the next week. Ooh. Yes, let's do that. Well, Sounds good. Um, Zach, do you want to start with your thing this week? Sure. Um, so my thing of the week is an iOS app called Really Bad Chess. Um, by the fact that it has chess in the name shows that it's a game. Uh, I was playing a game on my iPhone this week, which is very rare. Um, but I actually spent a lot of it in bed, so uh, I needed some kind of light entertainment. Uh, really Bad Chess, it's actually an app that it's been on my radar for a while. Apple really like it and sort of heavily feature it. But it's basically chess with random pieces. So... <laughs> It's it's a bit stupid, it's a bit fun, um, bit quirky, like it's usually the games like if you're serious about chess, you're probably not gonna enjoy it. Because <laughs> the games are usually very one sided because somebody usually gets the better end of the deal, you know, gets a few extra queens and somebody has a few extra pawns and it's like, well, what's the point? <laughs> uh you know who's gonna win there, but it's just a bit of fun, a is bit it of light hearted still- chess. So are all the pieces still the same? So like, is it like you can maximum have two queens because you get the other person's queen or could one person have 10 queens? No. So you could have like four queens. Okay. Uh, The only thing that is constant is you have a king and they start in the same position on the board. Everything else is randomized. So you might have bishops in your first line and pawns in your second line and you might have four queens lined up and Mm. like there's just that kind of... Thing. So it's it, it kind of means that from the first move you can start taking pieces if you've got the right ones in the in the front line. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a bit of fun, and they do like you can play against the computer, which is usually quite easy um, if you just play like the free play version. I find I win most of those games, and I'm not that good at chess. But <laughs> they do like daily and weekly challenges, and that's where it gets a bit more fun, a bit more challenging. And you know you're supposed to try and beat beat it within a certain number of moves and there's leaderboards and things like that. So it's just a all around pretty fun game. If you don't take chess too seriously, you might enjoy it. Cool. Right. Yeah. Sounds I should check it out. I looked at it briefly. It it, it sounds yeah. like a fun concept, so I'm going to check it yeah, out. Yeah, the free version's pretty good. Like you can jump in and play a few games. What do uh, you get, get with the Sorry, did you maybe you mentioned it. What do you get with the non-free version? Um removing ads is I think the big one. There's okay. a few other advantages that I'm not sure at. Um, but the ads can get quite annoying if you're playing a lot on the, the free version. Okay. Um, oh, you get extra undos, you get different themes. But yeah, the, the big one that mm. I find is the removal of ads because it kind of makes you watch a full screen video ad oh, between each game. Otherwise, annoying. Yeah. but okay. Yeah, so yeah. can you be good at this game? Is it, or is it like just luck of the draw? Sure. Like I probably if you've got like, un, you know, the underlying chess skills of thinking many moves ahead, I'm sure that would help you. But mm-hmm. honestly, it's kind of, it just kind of feels like luck of the draw with okay. the pieces you get. Um, like you, you see four queens in your lineup and you know you, you've got a good game coming. Okay. 
I'm not sure if I, it's my type of game. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not a big fan of games that are very luck based. Um, right. Okay. But it might be. I will. Sh- I will still check it out. Definitely. <laughs> well, there is sure. a free version that you can try out. Yeah, I heard yes, so too. Yes. And yeah. if you like it and enough, if you only then you ever play a single game, you'd probably not see any full screen ads. Hmm. Well, you you sold me. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but I, I will still check it out. So let's go for my pick, my thing this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thing this week is a newsletter called uh, Indie Dev Monday. Um, so this was this uh, newsletter that started very recently. So they had there's been one issue so far, and it was started by Josh Holtz, um, and he, by the sound of it, wanted to basically uh, he he always been very excited to hear what I sorry what indie developers do, and he follow people on Twitter and sort of uh, just just wanted to promote that, and also wanted to find a way for himself to find. And get in touch with more indie developers. Um, so rather than him having like his own Twitter feed when he followed people, he wanted to, um, find other people and write about them in the newsletter. So, um, it's every week, every Monday, uh, hence the name, there is a new uh, issue coming out. And every time they have, they, he's been interviewing two different indie developers. Um, and it's sort of talking about, uh, what they are doing and how they got to where they are and some specific questions to the type of app that they are making or the type of thing that they are building. Um, and I think it's it's a great way to like get an insight. And I think um, like if if you're interested in moving over to being an indie developer, or you have like an idea for something you want to do, uh, but you you're not really sure, like you want to hear about other people's path to get there. Uh, I think it sounds it sounds like this is going to be a really really good thing to read every week. And I read the last the first issue uh, on Monday, and I thought it was really good. And I, I recommend it. And it's it's free. You can just go to indiedevmonday.com and sign up there. Or follow the Twitter account. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. But in general, like indie, indie developers, I'm a big fan. Uh, again, a bit biased, but also a big fan. And even if you don't have any ambitions, I think it's still worthwhile to read if you care at all about yeah, yeah. like different different platforms, like Mac-specific so far, or Apple-specific so far. But it's just, it's it's good to know who the people behind in the software because you might feel like you really want to support someone, you know, and and I think that's kind of cool. Or it might even encourage you to to try your own your own products because you're like, hey, those people can do it. Maybe I can do it too. Yeah, yeah. Not saying that those yeah. people are not great. Just saying it's it's also but, just like people. Yeah, yeah. But I also think some people. So for example, it's great to hear. Uh, in the first issue, the two people were from quite different backgrounds and they got into development from different, uh, different angles. And it's quite nice to hear that there are many different ways of learning development. And I just think it's, it's, um, you're not always seeing those parts as well. You might just see someone's app and it's, you're not getting that personal touch. So I think it's just great to get an understanding of where people are coming from and also, uh, like I said, sort of, I think it makes you, it, it makes it more exciting to like support indie developers because uh, like hearing their stories is, is, is really great. Mm. And I think they are doing like in general, indie developers tend to do really good jobs and tend to have a variety of skills. Like you sort of have to do everything on your own. And that can be a bit daunting to people if, if, if it's something that you're not used to, but hearing how other people tackle those things can be good. And just seeing what people do is exciting. Cool. So yeah, I think it's been it's a really good initiative. So I'm looking forward to reading more about it. Mm. Mm. 
Um, my pick is I plan to also stay within the indie theme that that you you two have. But then again, we also ordered a very obscure new coffee grinder uh, from China. So, so screw the indie developers. And so it's, it's not let's quite, talk about this. So I don't know. I was considering to try to bend this into a segue where it's like, well, this is a no name, no brand <laughs> coffee grinder. But I don't think I, I can make that work. Anyways. It's uh, fine. It's a good pick. We got a new coffee grinder. And as we usually do, we... C- didn't just want to go to a store or to a web shop and order something that, that people have heard of. Um, so we we did some weird research and it led us through quite some journey. We were I started looking into some of the Indonesian coffee scene and what they're using in coffee shops that led me towards the Taiwanese coffee scene and which exposed me to uh, world famous grinders like Flying Eagle and uh, Flying Horse. Uh, and the coffee grinders that they seem to that that seem to be fairly commonly used in coffee shops. Are these there. actually world famous? Mm, I don't know. Okay, um, but they're used there. And then I realized, or I I, I kind of you know rabbit holes. Um, I found some Chinese companies that kind of built things that kind of looked similar to the flying flying horse type grinders, and kind of started researching those. And they actually got really good ratings, and some people were really impressed with them. And then I saw in some coffee forums people kind of started talking. To, about them and their experience with them and that they were surprised about how, how good they were and we're like okay maybe maybe we should give it a shot so we also ordered one of them they're they're surprisingly affordable it's 200 dollars for uh did i say the name Leo n520 is the particular model we bought there are a whole bunch of them that look the same and i think they are the same uh Leo seems to be the only company that just puts a name on it which makes it a lot easier to refer to them but i think there are a lot of them that look like that that are actually the same um but our particular one was from a Leo web shop and it's a ghost burr grinder um so it's two flat discs 75 millimeters ish in diameter uh 200 watt motor um ghost means it's not really designed for espresso type uh beverages it's definitely better for pour over and like anything that's immersion um probably aeropress is fine too you could probably do an aeropress on on the smaller settings quite nicely with this um but it's kind of designed not for espresso but for those kind of immersion brew type um uh beverages and it, it does it really really surprisingly well you wouldn't believe that it's a 200 grinder it's super solid it's heavy it the the motor sounds satisfying it's just a really nice lower frequency noise it's it's uh, the grind quality is is surprisingly good it's, mm-hmm. coffee grinders do tend to require some seasoning for some of the the teeth to kind of um, get a bit less I guess sharp, so it will. The, the expectation is that it gets even better, but it's um, a kind of zero retention grinder. So you put thirty grams. We we only make our coffee a single dose, so we put thirty grams in on top, and we get thirty grams out in the bottom, which is uh, which is would, quite quite rare. It makes it sound like yeah, yeah of of course I put one. <laughs> I put an egg in the pot and now I'm getting an egg out of the pot. Like, I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I've tried to make an analogy here. And yeah, it but works really let, good. Let's take the analogy. You put 30 grams of beans in the top and you get 30 beans. Yes, 30 I like that of one. Beans out in the bottom. Um, and that sounds trivial, but that's not common for grinders. Usually grinders have a lot of cracks and, and, and like catchment areas where, where beans get stuck or the grind gets stuck, especially um, if you're grinding a bit finer and it's, you kind of lose 
10-ish percent, depending on the grinder, m might even more. Mm. Uh, so he puts 30 grimes in and you might only get 27 out. And the downside um, of that is that the next time you go ahead and grind, some of this grind that's stuck in the machine might actually come out into mm. your coffee. And that means that it's been sitting around there for a day or two mm. and then it's getting stale. It's, it's also it's like if you're kind of like we are, we're kind of particular about the way we're we're making our coffee so we kind of have our ratios so if we if we brew we actually have a ratio that we brew water with and we're gonna make sure that we we get that right so we want to use we pick 30 grams of coffee because we want 500 milliliters of of, of coffee that we want to make or 500 milliliters of water we want to add to that um to then brew our coffee and obviously if you get a weird variety of 10 plus percent depending on on the day of the grinder that's a bit annoying so having a something very close to zero zero retention is really nice yep. anyway long story short um if you're interested in a budget electric uh grinder for kind of the brew type uh grinders i so far from about three days of of testing it i can i can recommend that as a certainly experimental but definitely so far quite interesting and and fun fun toy to play with mm -hmm. and and a good good outcome from from the brew results and the the grind and grind yeah yeah like if you're looking at the yeah things. and if you're looking at the grind that's coming out it's very um consistent um size wise so that is really really great and it's also not having much uh, of the very fine grinds that usually you you wouldn't want to use um so i think it's it's really consistent so far and i think overall all the coffees have been surprisingly well surprisingly mm. good even considering that we're still experimenting with it mm. Um, I recommend it, but I do wonder, do you think this is hard? You were mentioning kind of that, like there are many different brands, but CLAO is the only one that actually seemed to brand it. Do you think it's hard to find this grinder if you're, if you're not really sure what you're looking for? No, I don't think I put a, I put a link into the show notes of the one that we ordered, mm. but it's, it's, there are not that many ghost per 200 watt grinders, uh, that are kind of from no-name brands within that price range. I saw that you could also customize which country you want to use it in. So you, I assume you get different plugs. Would you yeah. also get different uh, wattage? Voltage. Voltage. So the, it's always a 200-watt motor, but you get a voltage, and they have models between 110 volt for like North America and certain other areas. Um, I think Japan's 100, um, all the way up to like the Australian 240 volt. So you, you you just select the combination you want and you get the hopefully the correct model. <laughs> um but yeah, it's it's definitely if 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 you're interested in coffee related things and you wanna have something that makes big beans smaller particles and you have two hundred dollars to burn because I would I would not if you're it's all the money you scrape together. I don't know if I would go with this because it's definitely more risky, right? You don't know Yeah, but it's also hard to find a really good grind for two hundred dollars yeah. in the first place. But you can probably have something locally that might come with a warranty and those kind of things. Yeah. So I would consider this if any part breaks, I would consider it a two hundred dollar parts uh like if if you want a, a replacement part, consider every replacement part to be two hundred dollars, which is mm -hmm. coming in the shape of a new grinder. Yep. I wouldn't really rely on that being. I mean, it, it's serviceable. We took it apart already to look into it and kind of look how it was built and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And it comes with some spare parts, but it's 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 a fairly unknown brand somewhere in in Shenzhen. So I don't know if I would I would recommend that to to everyone. But if it's if you're up for for some experimenting with a grinder, it kind of looks like a Markonic EK forty three S but even smaller um or or some 
some other uh, Taiwanese slightly more known brands, then I would give it a shot. It's fun. Mm. Cool. Awesome. Good pick. Mm. Um, Next week we do uh, the quarterly earnings for Facebook, right? I think we should make that a thing now. Yeah, I don't don't think so. Um, (laughs) So for people who are still listening, uh, we noticed, um, we we did get a few positive uh, feedback messages from the last last episode. Uh, And I just want to thank people for being so excited about what we're doing and for uh, for keeping on listening. And I think we also got a few new listeners quite recently. So um, it's great. It's great to see people being interested in the show uh, so thank you so much for listening um I, I actually noticed that our cup of tech twitter account did not have dms open so if you have been wanting to send us a message but you didn't feel comfortable doing it publicly you can now send us a private message if you want um and we do always keep our twitter handles uh, and the cup of tech twitter handles in the show notes uh, so if you want to get in touch with us um uh, with any feedback or just to say hi let us know mm-hmm. uh, and if you're super excited and really enjoy the show uh we would love for you to give us five stars on um wherever you're listening to your podcasts mm. uh because that's and don't super forget helpful to click like and subscribe and that bell button yeah i don't know what those three different things are doing but i'm sh- go, go ahead and do it 